The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. This is John Howard, and I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest today is, excuse me, is Doug Moore, uh, who's the executive director of the United Domestic Workers uh, of California. It's an Ask Me Local 3930. Doug, thank you very much for joining us today. We're going to chat about politics and labor and anything else we want to bring up. Looking forward to it. Um, one thing it just struck me just today, because I saw a tweet, I'm, I guess, obsessed by Twitter lately, but I saw a tweet suggesting that... Uh, uh, Prop 22 may be the harbinger of a whole lot of big business ballot measures to overturn laws that have been approved by the legislature. And this in, involved flavored tobacco. Tobacco interests want to, wanting to overturn in 2022 uh, with a ballot referendum the, the law, the, California, the new California law banning flavored tobacco. Prop 22 uh, was viewed up here in Sacramento as, a, as an anti-labor issue. What's your take on that in terms of the future? What's ahead for labor as it relates to this kind of this kind of activity in the part of business? Oh, well, uh, thank you for having me on. And I would say it's not necessarily anti-labor only. It's also anti-worker. Uh, when you look at $200 million spent on a ballot initiative, what does that tell you? That tells you that they will they will buy their way into into the lives of people and convince them that something bad is good for them. And basically that's what they've done with Prop, two, uh, Prop uh, 22. When you look at some of, uh, some of the commercials, it was kind of hard to tell uh, which way to go on them. They were, you know, they were very um, misleading. And the fear is that other, other corporations are going to do the same thing. Uh, they can't win anything in the legislature, so they're going to take everything to the ballot. That is a fear. Uh, what we need to do is try to get ahead of what they're doing by being uh, be informing the public in advance about uh, what these initi- initiatives really do and how they impact workers. I think we we started late on our messaging and we didn't get it out. But even if you get a message out, it's kind of hard to overcome two hundred million dollars. But it doesn't mean that you stop. The education has to be ongoing. You know, uh, labor is seen, not just you folks, but just labor generally is seen as the, the foot soldiers of California politics. They're the ones who can, cre- who can get lots of people to knock on doors, uh, lots of people to uh, distribute flyers. They've got people on the ground. They can put boots on the ground. Do you think that's enough to overcome something like a $200 million ballot campaign? It clearly wasn't in Prop 22 to the extent that was the fight, but... Uh, is that enough to overcome that kind of money weight? Well, it's, it's going to take us not starting our education campaign during an election, election cycle. We have to start early. And, and we have to do a better job of engaging the community because we tend to, uh, to have labor over here. And then we say, oh, we got to go over here and get community behind us. That should be an automatic. And the only way that you can do that is have year-round coordination in collaboration with community organizations, not just show up at election time. We have to be in our communities 
365 days a year, seven days a week. We can't just show up at election time, uh, do flyers, knock on doors, do phone calls, and after the election, they don't see us until the next election. That is old and it doesn't work anymore. So you have, if I remember right, you have about 90,000 members of the UDW, is that correct? Uh, we represent um, a total of 140,000 um, home care and now child care oh, okay. providers in 43 counties in California. Oh, okay. And so, uh, you know, I wasn't really that familiar with UDW and what your members do. Can you talk a little bit, give give our listeners some background on, on who your members are and what they actually do? And uh, I know that I've seen some op-eds that... Uh, that their job is actually much more difficult now in the in the face of the COVID pandemic than it was, and it was already hard enough before. So it'd be great to get some context there. Sure. Uh, UDW, or the United, the United Domestic Workers of America, is a home care union uh, and now a child care union. Uh, it was founded by followers of Cesar Chavez, Kenem Samaji, and Fahari Jeffers back in 1997. Uh, we call ourselves a social justice union. Uh, the reason why is that our union is the third union in the U.S. to be founded entirely by people of color. The first being A. Philip Randolph with the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. The second being Cesar Chavez with the farm workers. And the third being uh, UDW or the United Domestic Workers. And our members are primarily women, about 78% and about 56% of them are are women of color, are people of color. And our providers uh, pro uh, provide care for California's low-income seniors and people with disabilities so that they can live safely and um, independently at home. And then our family child care providers provide care and early education to California's children. Now, many of these children are low-income and participate in state subsidy programs to help fund their care. So that's a little about the UDW. That job description seems like one that would be rife with concerns during the, the current pandemic. That, you know, how can you, how can you socially distance while serving your, your clients? Um, you know, this was horrific. Uh, you know, COVID is a, it's a horrific pandemic. Um, and our members, you know, you talk about frontline workers, some of them literally live with their clients. And uh, they are some of the most vulnerable that were susceptible to the COVID, uh, to the COVID pandemic. And we had, a, we had some issues. We had issues with uh, no access to PPEs and the other necessary supplies. Um, we had providers who took care of a client that when they would go to the home, the client said, I don't know where you've been, don't come here. So it was going both ways. And then we had, the, then we had the, the provider saying, I don't want to go to that client's house because I don't want to get sick. So we had it come in both ways. Uh, so what we did is we, you know, since we are a home care provider union, we're not your traditional union with work sites. We've always been a union that relied on technology to communicate with our members. So uh, we ramped up our digital communications with our members and started doing uh, education around COVID. Uh, we did teletown halls with doctors from Kaiser. And on those teletown halls, we, we would have upwards to 14,000 listeners. And then we uh, opened it up to questions and answers. Um, we did face, Facebook, Facebook Lives uh, for our members. 
uh, Zoom meetings and connected them uh, with other members. Because so, when you're isolated like that, you're not leaving the house. At least you can get on a Zoom call and see another person and have a conversation with them. And when the pandemic first started, we started a program, we launched it, it was called Reach Every Member. And it was a phone banking campaign. And all we did was call our members and say, we were, we we're from UDW and are you okay? Is there anything that you need? And we reached out, to, we made over 83,000 calls. And um, also we uh, were able to secure PPEs during this time, you know, however we had to do it, if we had to threaten people to get them, we did it. Uh, you know, especially to the counties. Uh, the counties were saying the state had it. The state was saying they gave them to the counties. Uh, it, it was a mess, but we uh, ended up overcoming that. But we're still every day we provide PPEs to our members. We have food banks throughout California to not just serve our members, but the community as a whole. So the pandemic, I think, kind of uncovered the uh, the hole in the healthcare safety net that we have here in California. Was the state cooperative? In that, ultimately, it sounds like you're able to get cooperation as far as uh, personal protective equipment went. Um, was the state cooperative in that? Did, did you rely more on county government, municipal government, or just your own folks getting things together and, and donating? How did, how did that ultimately uh, We've had some out? private donations from some organizations. Uh, even just as uh, two weeks ago, I had someone uh, just, can you come and pick up 200,000 masks? Absolutely. <laughs> wow. uh, can you come and pick up eight pallets of hand sanitizer. Absolutely. I don't have a truck, but I'll figure it out. Uh, so uh, th in terms of the state, once they got up and going, uh, they were shipping supplies to, to the counties and the counties were saying, well, home care providers are not essential workers. If a home care provider is not an essential worker, who in the hell is? So uh, we had to get, overcome that hurdle with several of the counties that we deal with. How about organizing new new members? That's sort of the lifeblood of uh, of a labor organization is getting out and signing up new members. How how has that been affected by by COVID nineteen? We used to get a lot of our signups through in person orientations. Uh, we would also make appointments to go to their home, sign them up, or just do what we call a blitz. And uh, basically, you have a list of home care providers who are not members, and then you go to them and ask them to sign up. Well, with COVID, we can't do that anymore. We've we uh, started doing. Um, virtual orientations with the counties. The counties had to give us access and uh, it was slow going until we got the right script. But now we, we've been pretty successful at signing up uh, folks because they can sign up electronically. We can walk them over to our through our website and have them sign an electronic card. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's changed. Doug, what's the hierarchy? I, this pretty basic question, but I'm just wondering now, you're you are executive director of Local 3930 UDW, and that's part, that's a local of American yes. Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees of Ask Me. You're also right. a, a, an official in Ask Me, I think a vice president, a regional vice president? I may have that title wrong. I'm a uh, international vice president for Ask Me. Okay. So you've got a foot in both camps. I'm just wondering. Uh, who do you, I guess my question is basically, who do you answer to? Is there a board, a UDW board, or is there a Ask Me board? Or um, how, how does that work? How's that hierarchy work? Uh, there's two structures. Uh, UDW has a statewide executive board. Uh -huh, okay. Um, that's elected. Uh, and I 
am hired by that statewide board to be the executive director. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, with the, with ASME, the international, those are elected positions, and you have to run for those positions at the ASME convention and get elected by the delegates that are there. Is that a national convention or a California convention? Or it's a, it's a, national, it's a national convention. One. Okay. And how long have you been with uh, Ask Me? I've been with Ask Me since 1999. Oh, so early on. You know, I saw a thing yes. on you, a little profile. I think it ran an AFL-CIO in a newsletter. It said you, you were in your mid-20s and you were working for Communication Workers of America. And you went to a, uh, I think at the request of your union steward or union president, you went to a conference in Sacramento, a Philip Randolph conference, a labor conference, and that sort mm -hmm. of, you got bit by the bug, so to speak, of getting more involved in, in labor issues and doing a much more full-time as an activist. Is that pretty? Is that how it happened, pretty much? Well, I got I got bit by, a, at that time, Assemblywoman Maxine Waters. She was the ah, keynote speaker. Okay. <laughs> a legend in Sacramento, as and, she is uh, in D.C. now. <laughs> yes, yes. And I said, wow, there's more to this than just representation of members on the work site. Uh-huh. And from there, I just started doing some community organizing with the uh, L.A. County Federation of Labor and became a member of the local chapter of the A. Philip Randolph Institute in L.A. and event eventually became the uh, chapter chapter chair. What was it about uh, Maxine that bit you? I liked it because I covered her quite a bit. I, I used to be an Associated Press and I covered her for years <laughs> up here in uh, Sacramento. And she, was, and she was truly a fireball in the assembly. People here referred to as Willie Brown's conscience. I don't know if that was completely accurate or not, but she was really uh, uh, very, very aggressive and very feisty. Did she work you over pretty good and tell you to get involved, or how'd that work? Pretty much, and but just the fire that she spoke with and the compassion. I said, I can do more, and I need to do more. Uh -huh. and, and that's when I started getting more involved in my union, becoming part of the local executive board, and eventually being the executive vice president of our local out of uh, Santa Fe Springs before I uh -huh. left. Okay. And, I, and it was interesting because I did a lot of community organizing work in L.A. And um, I came to work one day and my supervisor said, I had 17 years with the phone company. They said, we're doing a layoff. And I, they said, oh boy, anybody with 10 years and under are getting laid off. And then he made the comment, but if anyone has more than 10 and they want to uh, voluntarily uh, resign or leave, we'll give you your, your severance pay. And SEIU had offered me a position and I was thinking about it. And I raised my hand and said, I'll leave. And the guys I had been with said, wait a minute, you have 17 years, you're not affected. I said, yeah, but there's other things I want to go and do. And if I leave, one of you get to stay. And I never looked back. Wow. Yeah. God, that almost sounds like journalism. <laughs> all the buyouts at all the papers. It's kind of the same thing, you know? So, wow. Um, well, I in-home uh, supportive services is almost 50 years old now. It started during the Reagan administration, and um, which is kind of unusual in itself. But during the Reagan administration, 73, how has that evolved over the years? And how has that made room for, uh, for collective bargaining for the workers who do in-home support services. How has that changed over the years since the time of Reagan to the time of Newsom right now? Or has it changed? I would say very little, and in some counties, not at all. Um, we we have challenges throughout the state. Uh, 
with contracts uh, being negotiated at the county level. And uh, it's, it's, it's not like you're gonna go and negotiate vacation pay. There's no sick pay on the, there's no pension. There's no vacation, there's none of that. We have training and we have wages. And we have contracts like in Kern County that have been, we have not been able to get a contract with them for over five years. It is ridiculous, but we're gonna change that in 2021. Mm -hmm. We're going to change it. Is there an hourly uh, maximum or, I mean, you know, you think of a conventional job as 40 hours a week or eight hours a day, or maybe 40 hours a week, 10 hours a day, depending on how it's set up. The maximum is 283 hours for a month. Per month. Okay. And is yeah. is that, uh, so there's no over, is there a capacity for overtime? It, it, that's it all depends on your. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but it all depends on your clients. It all depends on your client's needs. Sure. There's a needs assessment done by the super, by the uh, social worker. And based on that needs assessment, um, you may end up with 60 hours or you may end up with um, 283, depending on the disability or how much that person, your client can do on its uh -huh. own, on, on their okay. own. And the, the, um, the minimum wage is was 13, going to 14, and then 2022, it's to 15. Is that still the game plan? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And most, and a lot of our counties, when the minimum wage goes up, um, are their wages go up by an additional fifty cent an hour. I see. But okay. not all of them. Uh, Tim, you wanted to you wanted China. Yeah. Well, I just had a question. Uh, so we are in the transition period between the new administration and the Trump administration. Do you see any changes coming, or do you expect any changes to come from the new administration that will uh, directly impact your members or, you know, the people that they serve? I mean, I expect that the Biden labor administration will be quite a bit different than the Trump labor administration. God, I hope so. <laughs> um, and I think it will be. And in fact, I know it will be because uh, President-elect Biden put out a paper around care, uh, dealing with uh, home care and child care. And it was, I believe it was $750 billion or maybe it was $775 billion. So we want to help him understand how that money needs to be allocated out for these programs. Uh, IHSS is a very unique program. Not every state has it. So uh, And so we, we rely on 50% of the funding to come from the federal government through CMS. So uh, with, with President-elect Biden there and Vice President-elect Harris, they understand IHSS. They've had meetings with our national president, and they know that this is a priority because people are living longer and they're going to need help. Yeah, is there? I think you, you mentioned you referred to um, a, a difference between the counties in the compensation for, <coughs> excuse me, for UDW workers. Is, is so? Is, is it pegged to the cost of living? Uh, San Francisco, the county, city and county, of San Francisco would pay more than say Kern County or Imperial County or San Diego or Humboldt? Is that, or did I misunderstand that? No, it, it's not pegged to the cost of living or in that county. I, I, I wish it were, because if it were, San Diego would be a much higher paid county than what it okay, is Okay, so it's sort of a blanket. Uh, it depends on who, because you're negotiating with the county. Uh, you, the public authorities at the table in the county has their negotiator. And if you have board of supervisors who don't believe in the program, or who don't think it's worth funding, uh, you do not get good contracts. It's simple mm -hmm. as that. And we hope to change that in uh, uh, San Diego County. 
uh, because for the first time in its history, they have a majority Democratic Board of Supervisors. Never before. And UDW led that charge starting in 2009 by uh, putting term limits on the ballot uh, for Board of Supervisors and passing it along with SEIU 221. What um, do you recall? What the margin of approval was for that? I'm, I'm from San Diego, grew up down there. Oh, and uh, it seems amazing. Uh, <laughs> that seems amazing to me from my memory of San Diego. Of course, I'm a geezer now, so I'm older. But when I was down in San Diego, it was very much, uh, very much a segregated county and a white county. The demographics are changing, and that passed by seventy percent. Seventy percent. Okay. Wow, that's yeah. all. Yes, that's pretty. Yes. Uh, pretty good. Has um. Anything that you folks have done uh, that you've done, well, in San Diego or Southern California, but that's had a statewide impact are you, or even a national impact. Are you sort of setting the tone for other states to do the same thing and other uh, domestic workers in other states to sort of pick up on what you did and spread the word? Um, you know, it's in Vermont, they used to have a program similar and it went away. I don't know exactly what happened there. Uh, but I think New York may have something similar as we have, but very, like I said, very few states have a program as robust as IHSS in terms of the build out. Mm -hmm. uh, Doug, just kind of one last question: what What's the next big step for United Domestic Workers, and for you at ASME? And what What do you see coming in the near future, in the next year or so? Oof, we see a lot uh, in twenty five words or less. You know, one thing that <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> One thing that I, I, I failed to mention a lot of about UDW is I did mention that it is a you know social justice union and we pride ourselves on that. Uh, and the reason why I say that is that when you look at uh, some of the, when you look at mass incarceration, when you look at Black Lives Matter, when you look at immigration reform, when you look at environmental issues, all of that impacts the members and the members where we live. So we also pride ourselves on being a community-minded union. It's not just about representing them to get them wages, but it's also representing them to make sure that their communities are better. So yes, we are out there fighting for environmental justice. And yes, we are out there fighting against mass incarceration. And yes, we are fighting for bail reform. Uh -huh. And yes, Black Lives Matter. And we are having trainings with our members on this, training with our staff, because for us, it's more than just about um, representing them across the table and representing them in Sacramento. They have issues in their communities and we need to be more community minded. And, and that's, that's one way that UDW sees moving forward in the future is to really, really dig in on these issues because it impacts them every day. Fair enough. Doug Moore. Executive Director of United Domestic Workers of America, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Hey, John. Thanks. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Doug. And we'll talk to you folks next time around. Thank you. Bye-bye.